what Peter, by the power of the Holy Spirit, summed it up right here. Big red bow on this gift. Verse 22 of 2 Peter 2, what the true proverb says has happened to them, the false Christians. The dog returns to its own vomit. And the sow, after washing herself, returns to waller in the mire. Welcome to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. It is a joy to have you listening today, and we pray that you will be encouraged, challenged, and motivated to live for God like never before. And now, with today's message, here's Pastor John Couch. Oh, Father, we come before you with hearts that sing, great is thy faithfulness. Oh, Father, I pray that you would remind us that your faithfulness is not dictated by our circumstances. Your faithfulness is dictated by who you are, the great God of the Bible. And so, Father, as we think upon you, as we meditate upon you, God, I pray that we would see who you are in the Scriptures today. And so much that's going on in our culture that as we hear things and see things in this world that frighten us, Lord, I pray that we would be confident in you, O God. The Lord is my salvation and my strength. May we resonate with that, God. May we ooze that out of who we are, that there is none like you, God. And all over this room today, we worship you. We hallow your name today. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, O God. Holy Spirit, I pray right now that you would just move in this place. I I ask that you would bring a fresh wind, a fresh fire to my heart, to every heart here today, that we would see you for who you are, that we'd see the truth for what it is. And, oh God, give us courage, give us boldness to walk in your path, God. Lord, we love you. We are so grateful for Jesus who is the way and the truth and the life. And no man, no woman, no student, no child can come to the Father except through Jesus. Oh, Father, we lift up the name of Jesus right now together as we open this glorious word. And we pray this in his name and his name only. And all God's people said, amen. Take your Bible, and 2 Peter is where we are this morning, 2 Peter chapter 2, looking at verses 11 through 22 today. And I wanted to start off this morning by reading you a report that came out a while back in 21, but I came across it, and I thought I should read it to you again. And it's entitled this, New Report Reveals Cultural Unbiblical Philosophies seducing American Christians. Here's what some of this report reads. 
According to new data from the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University's American Worldview Inventory 2021, the most prevalent seductively unbiblical ideas embraced by American adults include the spiritual inclusive idea that having faith matters more than what type of faith you have. The belief that all faiths are of equal value. The belief in karma, the idea rooted in Eastern religions that you get what you give. The dismissal of absolute truth. Commitment to personal subjective morality. The idea that people are basically good. The idea that success is determined by happiness, comfort, goodness, or fulfilled potential. The belief that sexual relations, apart from marriage, are morally acceptable. The rejection of the notion that people are inherently sinful. And then the conclusion that the purpose of accumulated personal wealth is unrelated to God's purposes. Hmm. So many, it goes on to write here, of these perspectives are about control, Barna says, a longtime researcher and author. Whether we are taking charge of our own destiny, spirituality, boundaries dictated by truth, moral behaviors, or wealth management strategies... Americans are largely driven by need to have control of every aspect of their lives. Biblical Christianity threatens that self-interest by requiring us to deliver control of our lives to God. It is clear from the research that most individuals, even a large majority of those who consider themselves to be Christian and who participate in Christian activities are unwilling to surrender the reins of their life to a God whom they do not know personally, understand, or trust. How does God speak to us, church? We know for without any debate that God speaks through His Word that the Word is living and it's active and it's powerful and it goes down to the division of the soul and, and every joint and marrow. There is something about the Scriptures that when we dive deep into it, we see how clear it is. And, and again, we've said this before, but it's so true. The enemy is going to do everything he can to keep me and you out of the Word. He's going to get us distracted. He's going to get us busy to keep us out of what will nourish and feed our souls. He will keep us out of what's going to help grow the roots deep into our lives that when, not if, but when the trials in your life hit, will you be rooted or will you bend? Will you buckle? Will you break? It doesn't take any courage to continue on when things are going well. It takes immense courage to press on when everything seems to be unraveling. And on and on we could go with examples from the old prophets of Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Isaiah. We could look there at Daniel and the lion's den. We could look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and Nebuchadnezzar. We can think so clearly, so clearly of even David and his life, even though he sinned, that he was determined. He was just determined to continue to repent and walk in God's holiness. We look at the New Testament and we see so many examples. We see John the Baptist 
We see Stephen the martyr. We see the apostles themselves. We see Peter. Yes, Peter, who we're studying today, who's writing this epistle. We see Paul. We see the King of glory, Jesus himself, that all of the thread, when you take all of these people and you throw them up on the wall and you go, what is the common theme between all of these people? The common thread is this. They suffered greatly for the cause of the gospel to go forward. Every one of them suffered greatly. And here in this Scripture today, we're going to see how clearly this unveils itself because now, church, now is the time to have courage. Now is the time to have biblical courage. Now is the time to have biblical conviction. Now is the time to be biblically sound and to rest in God and trust Him when it doesn't make sense, to trust Him no matter what. It is not time for spiritual wimpiness. This is the hour. And so here's what the Word of God says, and I'm going to start back in verse 1. I'm going to read all of these verses, all 22, and I want you to see the gravity and the weightiness of the destiny of those who are false believers in Christ. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1, but false prophets also arose among the people, warning, just as there will be, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. Here's the alarming point. And many will follow their sensuality. And because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. They're playing you is what he's saying. They're playing you like a fiddle. Their condemnation from long ago, however, is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. Now look at verse 4. He gives some examples going forward. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. Verse 5, if He did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others, when he brought a flood, that's God, upon the world to the ungodly. Verse 6, if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. If he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and he heard. Now look at verse 9. Here's our encouragement. Then, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge in the lust, the passion of defiling passion and despising, rejecting authority. What are they? They're bold and they're willful. They don't tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. Now look at today's verses, verse 11 and following. Whereas angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord, but these, verse 12, like irrational animals. He goes on to explain what's going on psychologically here. 
spiritually, emotionally, mentally, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to what? Be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant, will also be destroyed in their destruction, suffering wrong as the wage, the paycheck for their doing. However, they count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. Interesting. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable sin for sin. They entice, very key here, they entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed. Accursed children, he says, exclamation point. Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. Hmm. They have followed the way of Balaam. Here's an example, the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing, but was rebuked for his own transgression. How? A speechless donkey spoke with human voice. Hmm. Interesting. And restrained the prophet's madness. Deeper, verse 17, these are waterless springs and misdriven by storm. For them, the gloom of utter flesh, those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. Hmm. Interesting. For speaking loud boast of folly, they entice by sensual passions of they, of the flesh they are barely escaping from, those who live in error. They promise, 19, them freedom, but they themselves, this is interesting, 19, they promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person so that he is enslaved too. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and are overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. And lastly, verse 22, what a description this is. What the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit. And the sow, after washing herself, returns to waller in the mire. 22 of the most frightening verses in all of Scripture. Uh, 22 of the most frightening verses in all of Scripture. You've got to understand, church, that when you look in your Bible in front of you, that all of these attributes, as I'm looking in my Bible, of a false Christian, a false teacher, can be intentionally disguised so they're difficult to detect. And these people are smart enough to push the envelope ever so slightly, but we've got to remember to be on your guard. To be on your guard. Why? Well, look at verses 18 and 19. For speaking loud boasts, for being arrogant of folly, foolishness, vanity, emptiness, depravity, they what? They entice, they entrap, they seduce by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. Now look at 19. They promise, there's a promise here. <laughs> go over here. Don't hang out here, but go over here. They promise them freedom. But they themselves don't even realize it. 
are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes, whatever a person is made submissive to, to that he is now enslaved or dominated by. I want you to write down this key number one in your notes. Write this down. Spiritually and emotionally weak professing Christians are prime targets for false Christians. Spiritually and emotionally weak professing Christians are prime targets for false Christians. Why? Well, false Christians can sniff it out. False Christians are smart enough to know to not saddle up to those that are deep in the Word, deep in doctrine, pursuing holiness, pursuing righteousness, pursuing the obedience of God that He commands us to do. They don't saddle up to those folks. They saddle up to those that will will bend an ear, that will lend an ear. And here we see this so clearly because when the wolves in sheep's clothing come onto the scene, they understand that those that are in deep in the Word will quickly identify what's going on through discernment. One of the thoughts that hit me when I was beginning to process that thought was this, and I wrote this down. I said this, Fight for your holiness and your sanctification. Like, fight for it. Like, like fight today for your holiness. Fight today for your sanctification. You just don't magically end up in holiness. You don't end up in an ongoing becoming more like Christ. Sanctification, it, it takes work. I must get out of bed and decide to do these things. There's a decision to be made, and and who I hang out with is who I become. Who I hang out with is who I'm listening to. And if they're not true believers, they will drag you away. You will be lured. You will be seduced. And it sounds so good. It's not that false Christians will ask you to go do something that is so far off the reservation that you go, I would never do that. It's always something that looks like it's right. I wrote down a couple verses here. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 13. Listen to this one as Paul implores Timothy. He's imploring him. He's saying, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, what's happening? Deceiving and being deceived. Think through that for a moment. God's grace in my life and your life not only saves you and I, the true believer, but you understand this, God's grace gives you and I the power to kill sin. His grace is more than, again, just punching the ticket. Who wants to go to heaven? God's grace also, as it begins to manifest in your life and my life, as we grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, we now have the power to kill that personal indwelling sin. Whatever the struggle is in your life today, whatever the struggle is in my life today, I got struggles, you got struggles, every human being has struggles. Even the most holy human being that you can think of right now, the reality is they have struggles. And God's grace gives us the power and the strength to go to war against that sin. The thought occurred to me here in 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. There's a great warning here, 1 John 4, 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits 
to see whether they are from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. Go back for a moment to your key number one in front of you. Spiritually and emotionally weak professing Christians are prime targets for false Christians. I was thinking the other night of Ted Bundy. And you talk about someone who you never in your wildest dreams, never would have guessed was who he really was. The demeanor, the charm, the slickness, the words, the behavior, the dress, the look, and yet, one of the most notorious serial killers ever to cross through our country. If you're not spiritually strong, the false Christians will begin to pull you away. Be on your guard, church. Verse 20 of 2 Peter chapter 2 and 21 says it like this, For if after they escape the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled, they're caught in, they're entrapped, they're ensnared, they're caught in the cords of sin, and they are overcome, they're conquered by the last state has become worse for them than the first. Wow. For it would have, listen to these words, this is from Scripture, for it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it intellectually, because they haven't surrendered their life to Jesus, but they knew it intellectually, but after knowing it, they said, you know what, this is not for us, we're going to follow the crowd, to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. Write down this key number two in your notes. Key number two. This is so important for you that are in the battle. Here it is. The Christian life is a marathon, not a sprint. Each of our lives will be examined as to who or what we were overcome by. Let me say that again. Key number two. Write it down. The Christian life is a marathon, not a sprint. Each of our lives will be examined. My life, your life is going to be examined. We're either going to be at the judgment seat of Christ, that's the line you want to be in, or you're going to be in the great white throne judgment, and my life's going to be examined, your life's going to be examined. Rest assured, it's going to be all put on display as to who or what we were overcome by. You're listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. All of Pastor Couch's messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. In addition, you can share your prayer requests with us via email. Our email address for prayer requests is prayer at thisdayministries.org. That's prayer at thisdayministries.org. And now, back to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch. question. Regardless of your age today, maybe you're young, maybe you're middle-aged, maybe you're older, 
question. Ask yourself this, as I ask myself all week long. Am I, are you, are we spiritually finishing well? Am I, are you, are you spiritually finishing well? So many people that I've come across through over the years of ministry, that as they get older especially, they're not finishing well spiritually. They have this great opportunity to invest into the next generation. They have this great opportunity to send the gospel ahead. And the reality is this, it's going to take It's going to take an intentional, urgent effort for you and I to say, we we want to finish well. We want to live for the Lord. Yes, we're going to get pushed back. You're not going to be liked, I promise you. But that's okay. That's okay because we fellowship in Christ's sufferings. We take it on the chin. We say, look, we're going to walk in holiness. We're going to walk according to God's Word, and we're going to trust Him with the consequences of that obedience to Him. My fear, though, is there's so many people in our country today that profess Christ, they're not finishing well, they're not running the race, they're, they're being deceived, they're being pulled astray, they're being pulled in this direction and that direction, they're listening to the chatter, the noise, and what's happening is this, it's probably going to take God intervening in that person's life to get their attention, and that's one place you don't want to go. You don't want to put God to the test. I've seen it happen over and over, year after year, where people go, nope, we're going to reject, we're going to reject, we're going to rebel, we're going to rebel, and God goes, okay, here you go. You don't want to be under the chastened hand of the Lord on one extreme, because the chastened hand of the Lord does confirm you're legitimate, so we praise God for that. But his chastening hand is like a hammer. That's why for you that are running the race, you're not perfect, but you're running the race. My appeal to you is that you give your life away today in, in missionary sacrifice. Just count everything else as loss. Just count it as loss. And just live for Jesus every breath, every day. John 16, gives us great encouragement for you that are running the race hard. Jesus says, I have said these things to you that in me, not in your circumstances, not in the world, but in me, you may have what church? Peace. In the world, you will have trouble, tribulation, but take heart. I, Jesus, have overcome the world. Did you catch that word there? It's the same word that was used before. What you are overcome by, what you're submitting to, what you're dominated by. Jesus says, look, here's the deal for the true believer. When you're really in me, take heart today because I, Jesus, have overcome the world. Doesn't that just refresh your soul today for the true believer? And if you're a true believer in the room today and your life's been hard and difficult and disappointing and there's struggles and perhaps depression and anxiety and dejection and maybe all the above, isn't it a comforting word from the Scripture itself that in this world you're going to have problems? It literally means this, a pressure, a, a pushing together, but we can, we should be of good cheer. Why? Because our Jesus has overcome the world. That's the message that the people around the church need to hear outside these walls. Jesus has overcome the world. 
We don't serve a God who is dead. We serve a God who's fully alive. And our circumstances do not in any way affect His holiness. My circumstances, your circumstances, whatever you're dealing with today, does not affect how holy God is. It does not affect how faithful God is. God is holy. God is faithful. God is just. He's righteous. We could go on and on with the character attributes of God. He's immutable. He's unchangeable. That should give you hope. In a world that is ever-changing, we have a message that is never-changing. And it's a message of true hope. Not dressing up like a Christian and living this life that looks good, but it's literally getting undressed and being exposed, my sin, your sin. And then Jesus comes on the scene and it closes us in His righteousness. And we're never the same again. Think about Romans chapter 12. Write that one down. Verse 21, Romans 12, 21. It says this, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome, there's that word again, evil with good. And lastly, under this section, write down 1 John 5, 1 through 4. 1 John 5, 1 through 4. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. Here it is, verse 2. By this we know, there's a confidence, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. Hmm. Verse 3, for this is the love of God that we keep, we obey His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God, what is it, church? Overcomes the world. There it is. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Faith is the victory that overcomes the world. Amen? Do you believe that today? That faith is the victory that overcomes the world. Whatever situation you're dealing with today, it's faith in God, faith through Jesus Christ that can help you be more than an overcomer. We're not to be victims. We're to be victors in Jesus Christ. We live in a culture that promotes victimology. It's always everyone else's fault. The Bible says, no, I look at myself. You look at yourself. We look in the mirror and go, you know, what is it in my heart? Search me, oh God. Search me, oh God, and know my heart. Test me and try me and see if there's any wicked way in me, oh God. And then lead me, then lead me in the way everlasting. So what is revealed, though, when we study these scriptures here? What is revealed of these false Christians? Well, our last verse sums it up. Look at verse 22. And you talk about summing it up. Well, Peter, by the power of the Holy Spirit, summed it up right here. Big red bow on this gift. Verse 22 of 2 Peter 2. What the true proverb says has happened to them, the false Christians. The dog returns to its own vomit. And the sow, after washing herself, returns to waller in the mire. You know what's interesting when you study this in Jewish culture, two of the most vile animals in that culture were what? 
dogs and pigs. And so Peter, and you've got to remember, so Peter is rejected. Just like those illustrative men that I mentioned earlier on, and you could throw in some even women in there through the Scriptures that have been rejected, that they, they walked this road. It's kind of like the missionaries of old, that when you study this, some of these missionaries, the, the Hudson Taylors of the world, and I think of Robert Morrison. Robert Morrison, picture this. So, Robert Morrison is one of the first missionaries to China, and, and he goes out to China, and in over 20 years, he sees less than 12 people come to know Jesus. Now, just process that for a moment. You've been sent out. Your mission is go make disciples of Jesus, and in 20-plus years, you see less than 12 people. But what people don't understand is because of his faithfulness, he is traced back to this day to the explosive growth of the house church movement in China because of his faithfulness. Because of his dogged faithfulness, he just simply said this, I won't bend, I won't buckle, I won't break, I'm going to stay the course. I believe God called me to it, and when God calls you to it, he will lead you through it. You just continue to press on in the hard days. You press on in the battle. You don't get discouraged. You don't go weary. Why? Because we know this from Scripture that we will reap a great harvest if we don't lose heart. The Hudson Taylors of the world, they, they would say this and you know, when people would come along and they're like, you could just tell, are these people, these missionaries that are following going to be able to withstand it? And they would say something like this, we're not looking for people who will walk on the trail that we've already paved. We're looking for people with such tenacity and belief in the gospel, such fortitude that when the fiery darts are slung, that they're willing to go blaze a new trail. I know how we need that in our country today in this post-Christian America that just continues to slide into more deception. That's why key number three says it like this. Write this down. True Christians crave the truth. False Christians claim they love the truth, but inwardly they are incensed and will resist it, fight it, and return to their foolishness. Key number three, true Christians crave the truth. You want it, don't you? You, just, you want it. It hurts. It's painful. But, but you want the truth of God's Word in your life because you know you're going to grow in it. False Christians, however, claim they love it. Looks good. Sounds good. Put on the Christian costume. But inwardly, they are incensed. They resist it. They fight it, and they return to their foolishness. Time really is the great exposer of who we all really are. For false Christians, you can only keep up the charade for so long. It's like telling a lie. You forget which one you've told. And you have to continue to make up things to keep the charade going. My appeal to you today is that if you are incensed by the truth of God's Word, if you are fighting against the truth of God's Word, if you're rebelling against the truth of God's Word, my appeal to you today is that I fear for your soul. I fear for your soul. 
because Proverbs 26.11 is a similar thought here that you've heard before this morning. Like a dog that returns to his vomit is a fool that repeats his folly. Go back to verse 22 in your Bible of 2 Peter 2. What the true proverb says has happened to them, these false Christians. He goes, wait a minute, the dog returns to its own vomit. I mean, who in their right mind would want to return to that? As a sow that is what? Look there in the Bible. After washing herself, returns to waller in the mire. Paul gives such great descriptors in his writings when he says this, that we put on the new man, we put on the new woman. We put off the old man, we put off the old woman, so to speak. We literally, in that Greek imagery, is taking off clothing. That when someone gives their life to Christ, they are putting off the old and putting on the new. They're not returning to the mire. They're not returning to the vomit. They look at the vomit and they look at the mire for what it is and go, I, I don't want to be there anymore. I don't want to go there. I want to walk in truth. I want to walk in holiness. But calling people to holiness will cost you something. If you're going to call people in your family, just take your little family to holiness, it's going to cost you something. If you're going to call people in your church, your community, your business to holiness, it's going to cost you something. And we see right there that there's many that like a dog that returns to his vomit is a fool that repeats his folly. When I read the word fool, my mind always goes to one verse. It's 1 Corinthians 1.18. And it's such a great, great reminder it's such a great reminder. For the word of the cross is folly. It's foolishness. It's actually where we get our English word moron. For the word of the cross is foolishness and folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being rescued, saved, regenerated, it is the dunamis, the power of God. And all God's people said, that good? So just, just take it to the bank. See, part of what we try to teach is this, that as this world continues to go more and more post-Christian, especially here in America, you've heard me say this before, if it hasn't already happened to you, it's going to happen soon. You can no longer just sit on the sidelines and ride the fence spiritually. You're, you're going to be called out and we know it's the Word of God that will give you the nourishment. It's the Word of God that will give you deep spiritual roots. But if we are incensed by the Word of God, if we're resisting the Word of God, if we're rebelling against the Word of God, we're a bunch of dogs returning to the vomit. we got to be a people, church, that loves the Word of God because it's the truth, the Word of God, that will set us free. Justin Johnson said it like this. Listen to this quote, powerful quote. Paul told Timothy, there will come a time when people will not want to learn and grow anymore. They will think they know all they need to know. They will not search the Scriptures. They will want to be spoon-fed fluff and honey for the rest of their days, and they will resist doctrinal challenge, end quote. Listen closely. 
when someone says that they're saved, rescued, think through this. What are they saved from? I often would ask that question, and 10 times out of 10, I would receive this answer. Well, they're saved from hell. Partially correct. Do you understand when you study Scripture that hell is actually a byproduct of who they are really saved from? When you study the Scriptures, when someone is testifying and saying, I'm in, I'm saved, I'm rescued, what they're saying is this, I'm saved, I'm saved by the blood of Jesus, by God Himself, from Himself. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Yes, a byproduct of our salvation is that we don't go to hell and all God's people said, amen. But we got to get to this point that we're actually saved from God. Like His wrath is, I promise you this, is burning hot to this day as he continues to see what's going on in the United States of America, the rebellion and the defiance against his son Jesus, people aren't going to be saved just from hell. When they give their life to Christ that's real, they're going to be saved from God. And when you begin to understand that biblical theological truth, it will begin to change the way you think about your rescue. You mean God? Wait a minute, wait a minute. You mean God gave what was most precious to Him to first and foremost save me from His wrath? His wrath? Wow. How could I ever want to live in apathy and indifference? How could I ever want to live a casual Christianity lifestyle? How could I ever want to go along with the crowd? How could I ever want to resist truth and rebel against and fight against it? No. Jesus has saved me through His Son, Jesus. God has saved me from Him. And its wrath burns hot, and it's a fury, and it's pent up, and it's released, and that's why we are so on mission and so on passion, and I pray you are too, because if your roots are not deep, you will listen to the chatter, you will resist it, you will fight it, and you will go along with the crowd. I know how my heart weeps. It just weeps. Literally, it weeps. Church, I want to challenge us as the truth and the darkness continue to violently collide inside homes and churches in our country. I'm fervently urging and just imploring you this morning and praying for you even now as I talk that you would tenaciously hold the line and be willing to suffer. 
Be willing to be mocked. Be willing to be lied about, slandered. Be willing. Just be willing. And persecuted for standing for the truth of the gospel. Because it's the truth of the gospel that will actually set those people free. The ones that are coming against were actually helping or urging and trying to fight for. Now see the truth. Here it is. Like a child that's gone wayward. You plead with that child. You plead with them. Say, no, this is the truth. This is the way to walk. Bridge out. There's a bridge out. You don't see it, but there's a bridge out. And we implore and compel people. May God find you. May God find me unwaveringly faithful as you run hard after His glory and pursue His holiness. As was once said, the only way for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing. May we not sit on our spiritual hands. We can't do everything, but let's refuse to do nothing. Biblical boldness is the oxygen of the hour. May we doggedly resolve today to count everything else as loss. And be determined to know nothing but Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Church, totally trust God. Totally trust Him right now. Just totally trust God with the consequences of your unwavering obedience to Him. Just totally trust Him. It may come to a Nebuchadnezzar moment. It may come to this where our back's against the wall. But we're telling Nebuchadnezzar, if you will, the world, we're not bowing down to that idol. We just trust the Lord no matter what. Knowing that He's going to reward our obedience and faithfulness. And it may not happen in this lifetime, but I can assure you this, I can promise you this, it's going to happen in the next life. And don't you just crave, church, to cross that finish line to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your rest. Where are the lions in the pulpits today? Where are they? Where are the lions that without fear nor compromise will declare the glories? We've got a bunch of kitty cats. Where are the lions in the pews that will say, I'll stand. I'll stand for the truth. I'll stand for the truth tellers. Where are they? Oh, I pray, church, that as we've read these 22 verses today, I pray my heart and your heart are so stirred, so stirred by what's at stake here, that we will be those people, as G.K. Chesterton said, a dead thing can go with the stream, but only a living thing can go against it. Oh, Father, we come before You today. We worship You, holy God. We honor You. Hallowed, hallowed, hallowed be Your name. Oh, God, may You find us faithful in the battle. As the fight for the truth is on, God, I pray You'd find us faithful. Oh, Lord, maybe there's one here today that has never truly surrendered their life to You. Oh God, I pray today would be the day. Why delay? Why put off?
the most life-changing thing that will ever happen in your life. Holy Spirit, move across this place today. Raise up some lions, God. Some Christian lions. Raise them up. Infuse them with courage. Stiffen their spines biblically. Help them to see the light. Help them to see the truth. And then courageously lead in that. Oh God, we love you. We worship you today, God. There is none like you. I pray that what has just been said, God, I pray. God, I pray that what has just been said has been pleasing to you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. You've been listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. Don't forget that all of these messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. That's thisdayministries.org. In addition, if you have been blessed by the teaching of God's Word during This Day in the Word, we would love to hear from you. Our email address is info at thisdayministries.org. Thanks again for listening as we strive to honor Christ and impact our world as we spend this day in the Word.